Once again, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you've made it here. Um, one of the things that you may not know about The Crossing is that we are one church that meets in multiple locations, not only here in Las Vegas, but ar around the country. And so I always like to welcome everybody who's joining us. Let me just look in the camera, welcome our Southeast campus, all of our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we just welcome them? Glad you're part of The Crossing family with us. Well, on Tuesday, I leave for Israel. Darla and I, we are leading 48 people from the crossing to Israel to literally walk where Jesus walked. That I, later this week, that we are going to be at the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is this amazing place. This is a picture of it right here. This is where Jesus calmed the storm, walked on the waters, did a lot of miracles around there. We'll go to Jesus' hometown um, next week. We will walk the Via Della Rosa. The Via Della Rosa is the road that Jesus took his cross on the way to be crucified. We will end our trip at the empty tomb. And I tell you this for two reasons. Number one is I want you to pray for us. Just pray for the 48 people from the crossing that are going to be there over these next two weeks. And then second is I want you to go. That I want you just to put this on your bucket list, that I want you to be a part of this experience. I'm going to be I'm leading the next trip this next March and would love for you to be a part of that with us. Well, how would you fill in this blank right here? I hope what? What would that be for you? I hope that the sermon is short today. I hope that it stays warm. You know, I hope I get the job. I, I hope that he asks me out. You know, I hope that she says yes. Maybe for some of you, it's I hope that I can someday retire. Or I hope my team makes it to the final four. I hope I get accepted. I hope I win megabucks, you know, because then all of my worries go away. All of us have hopes. We all have hopes. Let me just give you a definition of hope. That hope is the person or thing on which your expectations are based. That whatever your expectations are for the future, that's where your, your hope is based. For some of you, it's a relationship. Your hope is based in a relationship or a career or your ability or your looks. That you have focused your hopes on someone or something. So, how do you maintain hope in what feels like a hopelessly broken world. See, if you've ever placed your hope in someone or something and that something comes crashing down or that someone left you, then you understand this tension right here of maintaining hope in what seems like a broken world. If you've ever stood at the altar and said, till death do us part, but your spouse meant until I find someone else, then you know how hard it is to maintain hope in a broken world. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. That We are in the middle of this series that we're calling Goats, the greatest of all time. And Jesus is the greatest of all time. In this series, it is based on the New Testament book called Hebrews. Now, here's the thing about Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. That there are some ideas, but we don't know for sure who wrote it. Some people think the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But there's a lot about Hebrews that just doesn't sound like his writing. Others suggest it might have been Luke, as in 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels. Some people think it was Barnabas or Apollos who were both traveling companions of the Apostle Paul. Some people suggest that it might have been a woman by the name of Priscilla. But we really don't know who it was. But whoever it was, they were writing to some Christians in Rome who had lost hope. That Nero is now the emperor in Rome, and he makes sport out of killing Christians. And they're ready to give up and go back to their old life. And the writer of Hebrews gives the purpose for his letter. It's just this right here is that Jesus is greater. That whatever you're going through, Jesus is greater. Whatever hope that you've lost, Jesus is greater. So don't give up. Do not give up. We're going to pick up this passage here in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. And here's what the writer tells us. says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. This is so great. We'll unpack this. Saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Now, he's going to explain this further. And what he'll say in a few verses is people swear by something that is greater than themselves. See, when we want somebody to believe us, when we tell them something and we want them to believe us, we swear on something greater than ourselves. And here's what we say, you know, I swear on my mama's grave. I mean, that's pretty serious right there. That, In other words, I'm telling the truth, and if I'm lying, may, may, may my mother be desecrated. So I'm telling the truth. Or maybe you say, I swear to God. It doesn't get any higher than that. This was actually the practice of the Jewish people, that they would swear by Yahweh, that they would take their oaths in the name of God. Now, we do this in a court of law. If you go and you testify in a court of law, you will raise your right hand and you will say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I am swearing that this is the truth on something greater than me. Now, when God swears, he faces this dilemma because there's nothing greater than him. So what does he swear on? Well, he says, I swear by myself. If I'm lying, then I'm not God, but I am God, so I swear by myself. And this is what God does with Abraham. God does this as with Abraham, God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he makes a promise. He says, I want you to leave your country, your friends, and your family, and I want you to go to a land that I will tell you when you get there. I'll show it to you. And if you will do that, then I will bless you and all people through your family, through your descendants. Now, imagine what this conversation is like. If, if you're a husband, then you understand this, trying to go home and explain something to your wife. So imagine Abraham coming home to Sarah and saying, honey, pack up everything, we're moving. We're leaving our home, we're leaving our parents, we're leaving everything that's familiar. Well, where are we going? I don't know, but I'll know when we get there. Why are we going? Because God told me to. God who? God had not revealed himself yet until this moment. The problem with this promise, 
that Abraham would have a family is they don't have any kids. And Abraham is 75 years old and Sarah is 65. Not exactly the childbearing years. And if that wasn't bad enough, they would wait for another 24 years until Sarah gets pregnant. And finally, when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, they have a son and they name him Isaac. Now fast forward a few years. And God tells Abraham, he comes to again, he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to go up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Well, of course, you know this story. After seeing Abraham's faith, God stops him and does not allow him to sacrifice his son, of course. And it is right there at that place that God swears by himself. He says, Since you did not spare your only son, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Goes on here in verse 15, it says, So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God made this promise, and Abraham received it. But as you look at this, it says, after waiting patiently, because if you know the story of Abraham, it doesn't seem like he was very patient. Because about 10 years after God first came to Abraham and Sarah, they think God is moving too slow. And so they decide that God needs a little help. Some of you are like this. Sometimes you think God's just moving too slow, so I'm just going to kind of help God out. And because Sarah can't conceive a child, she says, why don't you take my servant Hagar and have a child with her? Now, this was a bad idea. But Abraham, he's the submissive husband If you insist, and he goes and he sleeps with her servant, and she becomes pregnant with Ishmael. Well, Sarah gets jealous and mad and makes Hagar's life miserable until she leaves. And God will actually make Ishmael into a nation as well, the father of the Arab nation. And 4,000 years later, there is still conflict going on between Israel and and the Arab world. But this is just a reminder that God can redeem even your worst decisions. God made a promise. God made a promise. Abraham received what was promised, which was Isaac. It started with Isaac, and it would eventually lead to Jesus. Then he goes on this verse 16. He says, people swear by someone greater than themselves. That's what I talked about here just a minute ago. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to the argument. See, when you swear by someone greater than yourself, you are confirming, I am telling the truth, that I am swearing by this person, I'm telling the truth. And so that puts an end to the argument. I mean, he's sworn as mama's grave. I mean, that's serious right there. So that oath, it puts an end to all the arguments. Verse 17, it says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. See, God wanted to make his purpose very clear to you. That if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are an heir you inherit the promise that God made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And here's what this means, is that God has a purpose for you. 
See, some of you, you live like there is no purpose for your life. But God promises you a hope and a future. But there's two significant things here that I want you to notice. His promise and his oath. God's promise and his oath. And so we get those things kind of confused. So let me explain it to you like this. There's this coffee shop that Darlin always liked to go to when, when we're in California. So we like to go there, get coffee, we read books, we hang out, eat breakfast there. But if you have to go to the bathroom, then you have to go get a key at the counter to go to the bathroom. But they don't just take your word for it. You can't just say, I promise to bring it back. Apparently, you know, we know that every rule is because somebody screwed it up for everybody else. So apparently somebody thought, I'm going to keep the bathroom key. I mean, why did they do that? But what they make you do is not just give a promise. Your promise isn't good enough. You have to give an oath in exchange. You have to give something in exchange. You have to give your car keys or your cell phone or your driver's license. And so what you're saying is, I promise to bring the key back, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an oath on something greater than myself, my cell phone. You're going to, I'm for sure going to come back and get that. So that's the difference between the promise and the oath. Well, God made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And all people are going to be blessed through you. And back when God made that promise, he was ultimately referring to Jesus. That's the promise. But then he seals it with an oath. He makes an oath on himself, and there is nothing greater than me, so I swear by myself. And that ends all of the arguments. Verse 18 says, God did this so that, so he's going to give us the purpose of why God did this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The two unchangeable things, God's purpose and God's oath. He says it's impossible for God to lie. That God's character is so impeccable that even if God wanted to lie, that God couldn't lie. That's how strong his character is. That he made a promise, he confirmed it with an oath. That God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, so this is what we get out of this, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. See, he speaks all of this into you who need encouragement. Then in the middle of whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever burdens you carry, that this truth is to greatly encourage you. It's to encourage you and say, don't give up. You can be encouraged because God keeps his promise. God sealed it with an oath. God keeps all of that. But this next verse is huge that you might find yourself in a transition that you never asked for or a circumstance that you wished would go away. But there is something powerful in this for you. He says, we have this hope, talking about what we just talked about, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, that this is the hope that we have, that God made a promise, he confirmed it with an oath, and he fulfilled it through Jesus. That's the hope. And this hope is an anchor for your soul. It is firm and secure. Now, an anchor, an anchor has two purposes. This is this was written to some people that they, they're used to being on ships and used to being on boats. And so an anchor has two purposes. 
that when you pull into the harbor, you drop the anchor so that you don't drift. See, the harbor, this is the safety zone. This is the no-wave zone. And if you've ever pulled into a harbor and forgot to drop the anchor, then your boat will just drift away. See, this hope, it's an anchor for your soul. We talked about this a few weeks ago because there is a drift factor in all of us. And if we are not careful, we will drift away from God's purposes. And here's what we learned. Here's what we learned about drift. Drift, it is slow. It is incremental. It is unintentional. Nobody plans to drift. It just happens. And you don't even see it happening. It's just incremental. It just slowly happens. That you can't drift away from something without drifting toward something else. That you can't drift away from God without drifting toward something else. This hope will keep us from drifting in our life. But there's a second purpose of the anchor. The second purpose is to provide safety in the eye of the storm. That when you're out in the seas, when you're out in the waters in the middle of the storm and it's raging around you, you drop the anchor so you don't get blown off course. And you drop the anchor so that the winds don't blow you into the rocks of the shore and tear the boat apart. But it also keeps the boat from what's called pitch and roll. Because what happens is as the waves hit the boat and it goes like this, it'll come back and then the next wave fills up the boat and it sinks. And so you put the anchor down, and so as the wind is blowing here, it's blowing at the end, and you're able to weather that storm and make it through. I always think of Forrest Gump when I think about this. Remember Forrest Gump? Remember when he and Lieutenant Dan were on their shrimping boats in the middle of the storm? They put the anchor down, and they rode the storm out. That's the purpose of the anchor. So look at this again as, as the Hebrew writer tells us this. He says, we have this hope. As an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters, talking about this hope that you have, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the language that he's talking about is that once a year, the high priest would go into this inner sanctuary, also called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And once a year, he would make a sacrifice for all of the people's sins. What the Hebrew writer is reminding us is that Jesus went there once and for all. He did this on our behalf. He offered himself once and for all and became the scapegoat for our sins. This is what our hope is based on. That Jesus paid the price for you. So let me just summarize. Let me just summarize because this is our hope right here. Our hope is that God made a promise. He confirmed it with an oath. He fulfilled it through Jesus. God made a promise. He confirmed it with an oath. He fulfilled it through Jesus. God made a promise. See, here's the problem with the promise. Most people think that God promised something that he never promised. Because when, when the storms start raging, we're like, God, when are you going to? God, where are you? You promised. Listen, 
God never promised that you would always be healthy. He never promised that. God never promised that you would be wealthy. He never made that promise. God never promised that trouble will never come your way and you'll have this perfectly polished life that always works out. God never promised that. You want to know what God promised? God promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promised, I will meet all of your needs. God promised that he will bring good out of every situation. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's promise to you is he will bring good out of every situation you face. God's promise is he is for you. He's not against you. God's promise is is that he will complete the good work that he's already started in you. God made a promise. And then God confirmed it with an oath. See, God never changes. God is the same with Abraham. God is the same with Jesus. And God is the same with you. And his promise, it is not based on you. It's not based on whether you mess up this week or not. You know, it's not based on whether you make a mistake or whether you, you know, said those, you know, words again and kind of cussed out whoever was there. God's promise is not based on that. His promise is based on his character, and that's his oath. That's his oath to us, that God made a promise. He confirmed it with an oath, and he fulfilled it through Jesus. See, here's what's pretty amazing, is is the same place where Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, where God originally made that promise. The very same place is where the Israelites built the temple. Same place. And they would offer sacrifices for the people's sins for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then just a few miles away from that place is where Jesus would hang on a cross for your sins, every sin that you've ever committed, and he would become the scapegoat for you. While you were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what our hope is based on. Now I want to show you this scripture again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and and secure. I want us to say this out loud together because I want you to get this in your mind. So let's say this together. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let's say this again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And then the Hebrew writer would just remind us this. So don't give up. So don't give up. Wherever you're going through, don't give up. So here's my question for you. Where is your life anchored? Where is your life anchored? And is it strong enough to anchor your life? See, we try to anchor our life to so many different things that aren't secure. But when you anchor your life to your heavenly Father, this is not the end. Even when this life ends, it is not the end. That your hope is firm and secure. It does not move. Some of you feel like you are unanchored in your life. 
Maybe for you, while life is okay right now, you're just drifting. You're just drifting in your life. And you never drift towards God. That never happens. You always drift away from God. And you've been drifting. And it's time to put the anchor back down. It's time to put the anchor down. For others of you, you are in the eye of the storm right now. And the waters are rocking up against the side of your life and the storm is raging and you're ready to give up. You're ready to throw it all in. Maybe you feel discouraged today and you've lost hope. For some of you, you are dealing with depression that feels almost overwhelming to you. Maybe your marriage is in a storm and you're ready to walk away. You're ready to give up. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter that they've walked away from God and it just is so tough. It's like we can handle anything. But when we watch our kids going through it, it's just too much. Maybe you're dealing with sickness right now or a disease. Maybe you're dealing with cancer and you can't even remember the last time you felt good. And you just feel like you have no hope. Maybe you lost somebody that you loved this year or last year. And life will never go back to the way it was before. And you're trying to find a new normal and a new hope. Maybe you're in a relationship storm. And you feel like no matter what you do, you can't say the right thing or do the right thing and you've lost hope and you're ready to give up that you need to anchor your life back to Jesus you need to anchor your life back there there's a third group there's a third group here in this third group for some of you you've resisted a relationship with Jesus and so my question for you is what is keeping you from anchoring your life to Jesus? Because you've tried so many different things and I know you have a story, you have a story to tell me of, of what's happened in your life and the reason why you feel like God has let you down. Let me tell you, this hope, it is an anchor for your soul. It is firm and secure, and you can surrender your life to Jesus today. We're going to do something different today. We're going to offer the chance for anybody who wants prayer to come forward and to be prayed for. So let me just tell you exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray here in a minute. Our team is going to come out, and they're going to sing one song. And we're going to have our prayer team who will be all up front right here. We have pastors and elders and we have prayer people. And they will be here for anybody who needs prayer. 
And so here's my ask for you. Here's my ask. Please don't leave early. We will finish on time. We've planned this whole service so that we don't go over. And so if you will not leave early, I don't want to disrupt this moment for people who just need hope right now. So I'm going to invite our prayer team just to come on forward. Just make your way down here. Then we're going to sing one song. And then we're going to be dismissed. But if you need prayer, we want you to come forward. And we're ready to walk along with you. So let me ask you to do this. Would you just please stand? And then we're just going to pray together. And then our team going to lead us. So God, we come here today and we admit that for a lot of us, we just have given up hope. There's a lot in this room that they've tried to anchor their life to something else. God, there's, there's people here who are drifting. It's not that life is bad. They just have drifted away from you. And they're ready to put their anchor back down again. God, there's others that are in the middle of the storm and it is raging around them. And they need something that is secure and firm, that it does not move. So God, we come here in desperate situations saying, God, be with us. Give us this hope. God, there's others who are going to surrender their life to Jesus today. They're going to start a relationship with Jesus today and surrender their life to Jesus. And so we pray for them. And we pray this all in the significant, powerful name of Jesus.